This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, and with me, Cam Rustan, today we have the returns of, well, actually, it turns out they're both consultants now. Um, he is a consultant with Nort Labs. And what kind of consulting does Onkar Jin do? Um, strategy, business, branding, you know, vague words. Sounds, sounds good. I want, to, I want to say those vague words and have a card and hand it to clients and anyway. Um, and another one is she, uh, well, used to be until recently at BFM and she is now a consultant. What kind of consultant are you, Cheryl Paul? So I'm a PR consultant. So I handle public relations. I work with organizations and I consult them on, you know, how to, how to help them market themselves to the public. Okay. All right. All right. You've done, you've joined the dark side oh. of the force. Fine. Fair enough. Uh, perhaps, so, yeah. <laughs> our three topics this week are topic. Number one is, um, how do you spot that an image is AI generated? Topic number two is, uh, musicals in films. Are they coming back? And finally, topic number three is the revenge of the apologists. So, uh, we're talking number one. Um, I look at, I'm out of God, I'm way to look at it. But I'm always getting bombarded with AI images. And and I, I look at them and I think, how do I know, how do I know if this is a real image or a real person or just an AI generated one? And um I do think that the person who invented, I think it is one person who invented AI images, has a particular aesthetic. Um with kind of bold colors and I know there's a look. I think, I mean, we all kind of know it. Um, but when I look at faces, I, I've been staring at them and I think I've worked out how you can spot the difference. One is, yes, uh, fingers for a start, but I think they're getting better on that. You'll often see, uh, you know, very pretty girls and suddenly they've got seven fingers. <laughs> how did that happen? Um, uh, teeth as well. Suddenly one or so teeth are just so much bigger than the rest. Um, but But I think the main thing is, it's the lens. There's a lack of a lens. There's no lens. See, a lens has glass and many, several layers of glass, perhaps, and that can diffuse um, an image and put in grain and kind of imperfection. When you look at an AI image, it is much more akin to a painting. There is nothing between you and the subject. There's no haze, no, no, no gauze on there. But I just want to add one last thing before I hand this one over. Uh, I was um, stuck in a traffic jam and I saw an advertising campaign, uh, uh, Cheryl, as a PR person, you might want to take note, by sure. a very, very rich company. I won't say which industry. Very rich. And they were using AI-generated images. Uh, people, they had not bothered to hire a model or a photographer. They spent nothing, nothing on generating this image. Now it might be, it was a real image and they, they worked it to look like an AI image because AI is so hot these days, they wanted to be associated with it or it's, it's an AI image and like they're just cheapskates and it looked kind of, it just looks desperate. Um, so I don't know, do you, do you guys, I'm, I'm still being fooled by AI images. So Kajin, are you, are you finding yourself being Bamboozled by yeah. AI. Well, I, I think the thing is, right. So so I think it's a very interesting comment you made about whether you you saw this billboard and you weren't sure whether they were using an AI generated thing or they were making it to look like AI. Because 
one common theme among AI generated things is that it basically it's garbage in, garbage out, right? So it takes whatever is out there into that, it synthesizes it and it says, this is the aesthetic people are going for. And so what I'm wondering is whether um, you're seeing what you now associate as AI generated art, but what you're actually seeing is just very generic, commonplace work that used to be the most acceptable aesthetic, but now has become, you know, by virtue of AI being there, um, AI. So, I, I, mean, I mean, this this was very common for a lot of kind of um, depictions of fantasy and, and all that, which was a big, so- a big source of consternation for a lot of creators um, on, you know, Tumblr and Pinterest and all that, because they found that AI-generated art really, really looked like theirs. And in some cases, they felt like it was better. And the criticism against some of these people is that that's because their aesthetic was a very generic, replicable aesthetic. So people like it. Uh, so, you know, so Cheryl, I mean, people like it, so therefore it's okay. I'm just old fashioned. I mean, the general consensus I've seen, or at least like in with people I've spoken to, a lot of people kind of dislike AI art because it doesn't feel real it almost looks too perfect especially when you're looking at pictures of people um, or even animals i think some people most people want a little bit of a human touch in what they do um so whether it's ai art that's like you know um like a picture of something or like an actual painting an ai generated painting i feel like there's always that that element of like knowing a real person did it that is important to some people like myself included um, but I understand why people might prefer AI-generated images. Well, there is that perfection there that they may be trying to achieve that you wouldn't get with a painting or with a real sort of grass. Yeah, but it's poisoning our brains. Think of the children. <laughs> they were, will no one think of the children? So, I mean, here, here's the thing. I mean, I, I would contend that it's increasingly difficult to find that quote-unquote human touch, right? Because, okay, so for example... Um, I've been interviewing designers, um, job interviews for designers. And one of the questions that I ask designers is, okay, um, how do you go about deciding what you're going to design? Like, what's the research process? How, how, you know, what's your inspiration? And I would say anyone below the age of 30 will say, oh, uh, if someone says they want a minimalistic logo, I will go to Pinterest and type minimalistic logo mm. and I will see what's on Pinterest. And that's exactly what the AIs are doing. They're thinking, oh, minimalistic logo, I will absorb all the minimalistic logos out there and spit it out this exact same aesthetic. And so I, I feel like in order for them to qualify for that quote-unquote, oh, this looks really special, human touch, we're not even talking about the average designer anymore. Like People have to make an, a special effort to make sure that they are differentiated and they're actually providing something unique. Well, okay, Boomer. So, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm sure I would have done the same thing back in the day. I don't know, maybe not. But, but um, Cheryl, I mean, if the client, mm, you see, you're at the cutting, you're at the front line here. I mean, you're not exactly advertising, but uh, PR advertising. Kind of, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can, you can seemingly give the client more for less money. 
And it would, and if they say, let's do AI, or if you, I mean, you might pipe up and say, oh, let's do an AI generated image. You, you, you'll do it because it's like, it's money for nothing. Well, true. But I mean, as you said before, you know, when a big company or just any company chooses to use AI, instead of actually hiring a designer or a photographer, it kind of looks lazy. You know, it feels like they don't care enough to kind of give consumers the real thing. I'm not sure what like the average person thinks of AI generated art, but I feel like when you see a big company choosing to market themselves using, you know, no, no effort. It feels it, it feels really lazy. It feels cheap. Um, I, I you kind agree. of would expect more from them. I agree entirely. I mean, I saw I was just the other day in a shopping mall that this uh, hair salon had done it, but that's just you know that's a hair salon. They haven't got much money, and they're just directing mm-hmm. traffic up to their their salon. That's okay. But when a really big company's doing it, it is either one because they're just I don't know bereft of ideas, or right. or they are trying to follow. The taste at the moment, which Kajin is saying is popular. So let's let's mimic the AI generated image, at least for a while, maybe not forever. Um, but like I say, if you, I think that if you want to spot AI imagery right now, and it's it's changing so damn fast. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. They they forgot the fingers thing now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but the lens, I don't think so. The the cloudiness of a lens. And also the the kind of the lens, as it were, that they, it's not clear what lens they're using to photograph, as it were, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. image. Yep. It's a mid shot. So usually it's a, a mid shot, a whole kind of waist upwards, which means the camera is actually quite far back. And when you go further back, you get more grain in an image and there's no grain in an AI image. And also skin. Skin serves a biological function. In AI, it serves no function. It's just, it's just plastic. Anyway, I'll get back to you once I've discovered who invented this and and what his tastes are. So okay. I know I know it's one person. I know it's a man. Um, let's move to topic number two. Cheryl, um, I, the musical. It's making a comeback. Is it or is it? Um, well, I would say the musical has always been there, but right now there seems to be different reception to it. So I wanted to talk about this because. It seems to be kind of a noticeable trend lately of Hollywood film studios making musicals, but choosing not to market them as musicals. So we saw this with with Wonka, with the new Lean Girls movie, with The Color Purple that came out last year. All these films are very much musicals. They, they are that genre. But in all of the marketing promo leading up to the release, there was no singing or dancing you know, or the trailers and such, there was no musical label on it. So people ended up going into cinemas being being pretty shocked, you know. Some people were pleasantly surprised, I'm sure. But a lot of people were also really upset, especially people who generally don't like the genre, right? Um, and yeah, I don't really know why this is happening. You know, it feels like in the past, something being a musical was always more of a selling point. You know, films like Lenny Miz or like La La Land, have multiple songs in the trailer um you know the fact that it it is a musical is what gets people to want to see it so i wonder why now studios are choosing to like to to kind of lie basically to consumers right because i don't think it's a very good strategy in in the first place to force people to see something they they know they're gonna hate but 
I think I'm less interested in the strategy, but more so why they feel the need to do it, right? Like, why do yeah. people hate musicals in the first place? Yeah, yeah. Um, Arjun, do you hate musicals in the first place? <laughs> no, no, I, I don't. But I think, I, I, so I'm, I'm trying to think about it, and and I do notice that there's a recent trend as well in, um, like, for example, like in recent Netflix series, like Riverdale, they will have a random, like one episode in 30 will suddenly be a musical episode. Um, and I think it's considered more of a treat and a more of a kind of spoof episode more than anything else. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I uh, I like musicals, but to watch like a whole musical movie, sometimes I'm like, can you guys talk normally once in a while? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like I think the last like musical movie I watched was The Greatest Showman. Oh yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, please, like, just have five minutes of normal talking, and then you can launch into song. <laughs> um, Cheryl, we're talking. We are talking about movie musicals here. Oh yes, yes, definitely not theater. So purely like you know, film right. musical. And you haven't stated your own position. Do you what? like musicals? I, I do enjoy musicals. I wouldn't say that I, I necessarily seek them out, but I do enjoy a good musical. La La Land is one of my favorite films of all time. Really? Um, really? Yeah, I, I like the silliness. I, you know, even if they are singing every word, like that's, that's part of the fun to me. Yeah. I, th I think that there has been a change over the years. I love musicals. I love, I love, um, you know, Oliver or um, uh, I, I really used to love West Side Story until I watched it again. It was like, oh, hurry up, speed up. Um, and but in in Hollywood legend, uh, the movie Hello Dolly, which is actually my wife's mm. movie, is famously the kind of the end of an era. It was a big, mm. big flop. Uh, they had they thought they had a big star with Barbara Streisand, and the musical where people just suddenly start singing in a road and just do it, doesn't happen anymore. Now you have to find an excuse. Um. You mentioned Riverdale. I don't know what they did there, but Glee, for instance. I mean, they would always they would always sing in a space where singing is supposed to happen. It's not like Indian cinema where you know just hey, let's just sing here, and then we're <laughs> going to suddenly be in Switzerland, and who who cares? <laughs> but but yeah. the kind of need for realism. Although um, I did watch the, I, there was this uh, YouTube movie critic guy, and he was talking about um, High School Musical. Which, which I thought was an astonishing film back in the day. Good and uh, in it, uh, at one point, um, oh gosh, what's the actor's name? Uh, you watch Riverdale, Kajin, you, you know these young people. Anyway, so the, uh, young Josh, or whatever his name is, says to, to his, kid, his friends, you know, I want to be a singer. And they're like, well, we don't even know if you can sing. And the critic says, well, wait a second. Just 30 seconds earlier, there was a big musical number where he sang whilst they were playing basketball and no one seems to remember that they did all that singing and dancing. <laughs> mm. the, the unreality of, of the musical is, um, I think it puts a lot of people off. Yeah. I mean, I mean, thinking about it in, in, I think in recent years, I mean, most of um, the occasion for kind of um, song in a movie format has been mostly through Pixar movies. Yeah, or this about Disney Pixar movies yeah. like Encanto and and all that. Um, 
Although I do remember that people were incredibly disappointed when the new live action Mulan had absolutely no singing and no no magical Mushu dragon. Uh, so well, yeah, it was such a big part of the animation. It was such a pity that I wasn't in the film. I I mean I I watched neither, but, uh, <laughs> but oh Cheryl, no no I'm sorry yeah I'm sorry, um <laughs> but the uh, but Cheryl you are you okay with the I mean, you like La La Land. La La Land kind of plays it, not for laughs. Plays it safe with the musical because they're not singing every word. Um, well, also it, it, they create a universe, <clears throat> this place called LA, where, I don't know, it, star-crossed lovers can, can do this. <laughs> um, it's very romantic. It's nice. So you would welcome honesty in the, the musical selling. I mean, own up to it, producer. Yeah, I mean, very much so. Because I think, you know, the seeking realism in movies, I I personally don't relate to it. I mean, when I'm watching a movie, I don't have to believe that, you know, the actors are not acting. I'm I'm fine with suspending my my belief, you know, for for song and dance. I, I like seeing the actors have fun, you know. That's not something you you necessarily get as easily outside of the musical genre. I think musicals bring a certain kind of magic to it um, that you kind of know going in. It's a it's a sort of escapism. You know, I, I enjoyed for what it is. You know, it's kind of like like I would compare it to like watching an anime and then being surprised that everyone's having extreme reactions to things because it's just not realistic. You kind of know what you're getting into with the with mm-hmm. the with the type of thing that you're watching yeah but uh, i think an associated one uh and kajin i think you uh i'm not sure i think you like this genre but um a lot of people um non-asians cannot get their heads around uh the old hong kong or Mm. present day china bike fighting sword fighting type movies (laughs) where suddenly they're they're flying through the air and they're just (laughs) I have to say, I myself find it kind of ridiculous. Um, but I mean, are you too cool with that kind of thing? I've, I'm not sure. I think it's just dead silly. Why are they flying through the end? Well, I mean, you know, I, I grew up on that sort of thing. So, and I think that the 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 key for for that kind of sequence is, I mean, like for example, um, uh, Zhang Yimou was, uh, you know, is a big kind of. Um, Chinese director who does this kind of flying scenes and all that, um, and and he 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 very famously also um, choreographed some of the Olympics as well, which I yeah. think is a very telling kind of way of saying that this is not meant to be kind of violent fist fighting a la John Wick a la Keanu Reeves. It's meant to be a kind of dance, really. Bang. So you know, I mean, I think it's a similar thing with musicals. I suppose you have to understand it uh, and that genre in order to appreciate it. And I wonder whether um, the, the the kind of decline in musical movies is because there isn't so much of that. I mean, like going to a musical as a physical event isn't as big as what it used to be. So, you know, I mean, most of the time when I, I, I remember when I was growing up watching musical movies, it was mostly because Oh, I would love to go and see this in a theater, but alas, yeah. um, I must watch this in the movies instead. And 
I don't think there's that pipeline, so to speak, as much anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, real quick then. Gajin, what's your favorite musical? Uh, Les Miserables. You just you're just you're just naming music. No, I mean it's, <laughs> no, I mean all. If I must, I I prefer Les Miserables because it's not all happy. I don't like happy happy musical. Okay, and or Wicked maybe maybe Wicked. Cheryl, I would say La La Land or Mamma Mia. Uh, oh, okay. it's too happy for me. No, no, it's, it's all <laughs> happy happy. Yeah, and um, well, mine's and Oliver. you, Oliver. Ah, okay. First, because it's the story of my life. What can I tell you? Um, <laughs> grew up on the streets. Food, <laughs> glorious food. Yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, okay, uh, we take a break, and in a moment we return and discover about the the revenge of the apologists here on Viticulture BFM eighty nine point nine. And we're back with myself and Onkar Jin and Cheryl Paul, and now Kar Jin. Um, probably one of the best titles we've ever had on Birth Culture: The Revenge of the Apologists. Well, uh, I so I was I was thinking about this. Um, well, I've been thinking about this, looking at this election cycle for the United States, right? Um, and you know, we see the rise of. Well, I mean, now one of the big debates is. Was the civil American Civil War in fact about slavery? And a lot of people now saying no, it wasn't about slavery. And I'm like, what? <laughs> um, and I mean, I mean, it's not just America, right? You know, you see this in, uh, you know, in Germany. Um, just this week, it's unfolding as we speak. Um, there are several neo-Nazi activists who are being banned and deported from the country. Um, you know, you see a lot of kind of revisionist debates about oh you know was japan really all that bad and recently um one of my friends did go to uh, uh japan for a holiday and they stumbled onto this museum in the middle of tokyo where it talked about you know the greater east asian co-prosperity sphere and how the americans have painted japan as the villains and you know this is in broad daylight this is public um and it makes me all wonder whether we're coming to this point because, well, people don't like feeling like they're the villains. I mean, you know, uh, like we're, we're talking about a lot of social justice. We're talking about all of uh, generational kind of embedded problems. You know, the response of a lot of people is, oh, you know, that wasn't me. And that was like some person I didn't know from like way back in the day. And now that response is now morphing into, you know, I don't even think that what they did was that bad. And you're like, <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. We're, we're morphing now. There's an evolution here. Well, yeah. Um, so our Revenge of the Apologists, but also the Return of the Fascists is... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> um. Cheryl, are you are you, are you familiar? Have you, I mean, have you noticed this? That we um, all have. Have I, have I noticed? I mean, yeah, to a certain extent, right? I think also your your modern biases play a big role in how you know you look at the past. Like at a time like today, I guess it's kind of inconceivable to believe that slavery was ever as normalized as it was. So looking back, I guess it's kind of easier to minimize the role it had um, in in history. Yeah. I mean, specifically in the case of the U.S., uh, the, the apologists would latch on to one. It was um, it was not about slavery; it was about states' rights, yes, um, and that was the state's right okay. for people to have slaves. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, some nonsense about tariffs, but also um, 
that they, the Northerners, wanted to come down and destroy our civilization, our way of life, which yes. involved having slaves. Sure. Um, so, yeah, it, uh, you know, before we were recording, actually, uh, Kaji and I were talking, and I, I, I'll see if I can do this very quickly. Um, so I grew up in Britain. And I was very interested in, in the British Empire because, I, you know, I like to look at the architecture and the images and sort of see reflections of it. And it was, also, it was a connection to Malaysia, actually. But nobody in the 1980s, 70s and 80s, nobody was interested in the British Empire. It was, because it, it still had happened within kind of living memory, but the amount of people who'd actually been involved with the empire was so small. I mean, here you say the British ran Malaya, but it would have been, oh gosh, at any given time, a hundred people, it's such a small number. And, um, so nobody felt that it was to do with them. It was some other family that did it. Not, not, I didn't do it, but now there, as people, a new generation turns up, people in Britain have sort of see it now as, yes, it was the British empire as my empire. It was my country. We did it. And then reactions go on either side. It was a good thing. It was a bad thing. And, and for the British, when they talk about empire, it's always like, well, yeah, yeah, like you say, with these apologists, it wasn't all bad. Uh, we gave them railways, cricket, oh, God. Shakespeare, <laughs> um, and law courts and all that kind of thing. And, and from their perspective, it is, it, 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 it's tempting to see that as a, as a winning argument. Well, isn't it? I mean, it, it is a winning argument. You know, we gave, we gave them modernity. What are they complaining about? Huh? Doesn't work for you. <laughs> but just to end, I would say that there's a friend of mine who we grew up together and he had no interest in the British Empire. And I'd, I'd mentioned these things from time to time. He had no interest. And then more recently I met up with him and I, and I mentioned something that happened in Africa, in Uganda, uh, in the 1860s. And, uh, and he said, oh yes, not our finest hour. He said, and it's like hour since when has it suddenly become your what? You had nothing to do with you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, 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 I mean, I, I guess that's what I'm, I'm also noticing, right? I think it's because people, maybe people are talking about it more nowadays and they feel the need to defend. Yeah. Um, but it's going into some very uncomfortable territory. There. Um, I mean, arguably, the roots of Brexit, perhaps, I have a lot to do with this idea of, Oh, make Britain an empire again. Oh, we we can't give in to these Europeans. Yeah, yeah. If all the countries in the world went to the maximum extent of that they ever were historically, it just be a lot of overlapping. Uh, no, um, no one's shouting make the Mongol Empire great again. No, you're right. Well, maybe yeah, maybe in Mongolia they are. Uh, actually, yeah, they are. I I did notice that. I recently stumbled onto this rock band, a Mongolian metal rock band called The Who. And they exclusively, I mean, most of their songs are about how great Genghis Khan was. <laughs> that is really terrifying. I have to check them out. It's actually quite, quite, uh, it, it's catchy. But Cheryl, uh, these um, things that Kajin's talking about, in, in, when I was growing up, they were very fringe, very fringe and a bit right. of a joke. We never imagined that they would come about. I remember a very early episode of Bit of Culture, I did, um, what is fascism? Because I just thought it was just a historical relic. Um, okay. But it's like, it's here. And 
And Kajian saying the revenge of the apologists, what about the triumph of the apologists? Do, do you see that coming? I mean, there, there are always two sides of, of a story, you know. Um, you know, I mean, I think when historians kind of, you know, put these things together, they're not, they're obviously not transcribing history as it happens. They are, you know, they're, they're collecting information, they're understanding it. And a lot of, you know, a lot of what goes into that is interpretation, which is subject to bias. So I feel like this is the kind of thing that's always happened. It's maybe happening to a concerning degree now. But again, just because, you know, using a modern lens, it's hard to believe that things were really as bad as they were at the time. Yeah, yeah. So, sorry, I just uh, I suddenly realized we can connect the the musical <laughs> and this story with the, the, the movie The Producers um, and the song Springtime for Hitler, where they, they mock Hitler and... And I don't know if that's going to be so fashionable soon. <laughs> it's like, how mm. dare you disrespect Hitler? But gosh, in India, he's, he's hugely was... popular. <laughs> he's hugely popular in India. Uh, so, Kajin, what about Malaysia? Are we anything there? Um, well, you're, just, you're mean... just picking on you're picking on these Americans, these poor fellas. They got nothing to do with the civil war and slavery. Well, I, I think the 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 strain that I have seen in Malaysia that. That you know, uh, I think it's always been there, but now I think that there is a bigger narrative about this. Is um, to to kind of go back to this idea of British colonialism, and but in particular the case of J W W Birch, and say, hey, you know, he was a bad man, and you know, he really shouldn't have um, messed up with our traditions, i.e., slavery. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I, I do. I, I mean, obviously, um, I think the, the caveat from a historical perspective is that um, transatlantic American slavery was far more brutal and far more wide-ranging than the kind of slavery that was practiced here in, in 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 this part of Southeast Asia. But you know, it's still not great. It's still oh, indentured sounds, sounds like an apologist to me. Ah! <laughs> yeah, slavery apologist. Well, I, I'm just saying, you know, but but. A lot of them are, a lot of what I'm seeing now is people like, ah, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't really slavery. It's like, you know, hiring a domestic helper. And I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, let's let's maybe dial it back a bit. So I do see kind of these strands. Um, and as well as, um, I think uh, the, a major point of contention now is about uh, like the, the historical narrative around um, how did, say, uh, you know, Indians and uh, the Chinese come to Malaysia, right? And so, you know, you know, because of economic hardship, but also in many cases, you know, the contract systems were not exactly the most transparent and a lot of people ended up in situations that essentially like were like, like slavery. slavery, indentured servitude. Yeah. And so the narrative over there that's being debated is, no, no, they, they, you know, they came willingly and just showed up one day and, you know, started. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> I think that's where there's a little bit of apologetic going on. Or willful um, disremembering, if that's a word. Uh, I, I just want to finish, ask you, Cheryl, do you For think, I, as I say, I grew up in England and I, and I came back here to Malaysia. And one thing that I found, and I think this is true, is that in Asia, there's not such a clamor for remembering. Is there not? Uh, well, I guess I, I don't know. I mean, 
in in Britain certainly everything is memorialized. Every that's, single day is an anniversary of something, mm. and and we don't have that that sense here. Okay. Uh, um, uh, yeah, apart from you know Independence Day or something, we need more public holidays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I'm I'm all in support of that. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know if we don't have a culture of remembering, but. I don't know, maybe here we have more of a culture of like saving face. You know, maybe there's more of a culture here of like, you know, wanting to kind of, you know, not not portray yourself as as the bad guy. That feeling here is perhaps stronger, but maybe shown in a different way. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm not too sure about that culture of of not remembering here. I I I'm not sure if there's any like clear pinpoints to that. Mm. Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think also it's just in the built environment. Um, we don't walk around in Malaysia and, and you cannot look at a building that's a thousand years old. Uh, it, it's yeah. hard to find one that's a hundred years old. And I think that, I think I that mean, makes a difference. I mean, just look at the street names and how they change every 10 yeah. years, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, Jalan University has also been changed in PJ. Um, right, there's a Jalan who, Professor who, who Kim. 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 Yeah. Yes. Right. And... You know, I mean, so many of streets that have a lot of history have changed. Yeah. When I'm um, using Waze and it just says, you know, drive drive down uh, straight on Jalan. What? This, what? This is what? <laughs> changed the name? Who? <laughs> what am I on? Um, okay. So, um, well, uh, well, we'll leave that one. Well, I'll probably come back. Oh, I hope don't come back to that one again as you catch in. And uh, now we turn to recommendations. Recommend something that we think might be of interest. Um, I will start. Um, make an apology first. Last week, I recommended a book called um, Castles of Steel. And and I said it was written by Philip K. Massey. It is, of course, written by Robert K. Massey. Sorry about that, Mr. Massey. Um, so my recommendation is I've been recommending a fair bit of stuff on Netflix recently, which makes which might give the impression I think Netflix is good. It's not. Um, but uh, there's this one show which is uh, it's called The Sinner. Uh, it stars Bill Pullman. It's uh, the four, four seasons. And I like it because it's, 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 it's creepy, but not that creepy. And it's kind of scary, but not that scary. It's a thriller, but not that much of a thriller. I, I'm kind of sick of shows where it's just too damn tense and scary and stuff. And I, I just want something that's a bit more, bit more, just just calm down a bit, kind of thing. So um, I really enjoy it. Uh, yeah, I mean, do you? Are you too real? Kind of like you just really want to get scared. You want to watch movies that just just terrify you, kind of thing. Um, I mean, no, I'm I'm a huge scaredy cat. I'm I'm terrified of anything that could potentially scare me. So I generally yeah. try and stay away. Right. All right. Uh, uh, Kajin, I suspect you know you listen to Mongolian heavy metal. I, I watch everything. You know. <laughs> So uh, he yearns for the return of Genghis Khan. What oh, no. frighten him? <laughs> so my recommendation is called The Sinner. I think it's really good. I'm on the last the season. Sinner. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, and uh, Cheryl, what's your recommendation? So I'll recommend the book I'm currently reading. Um, I'm reading the Hunger Games prequel called The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. The movie came out fairly recently. I mean, I think it was a few months ago, to be honest. So I don't know if you guys watched that. The movie was great. You can check it out if you haven't yet. I I really liked the prequel. And I'm saying this as a person who was also a fan of the original trilogy, which, again, I don't know if you guys have checked out. The prequel is really good because there's a lot of lore in it, obviously. 
there is a lot you learned that kind of tied into your experience of what the Hunger Games was. But even if you're not into the Hunger Games and you haven't read the original trilogy, I think it's a really good standalone book on its own because it's full of discussions on political theory and questions of morality. And I think the writer, Susanna Collins, does a really good job of like presenting all of this in a really engaging and well-rounded way. She has also progressed a lot as a writer because I think this prequel was released like nearly a decade after the original trilogy was released. So you kind of really see her grow in the way she she forms narratives and develops characters. So yeah, you know, if you were a Hung Games fan, if you were not, I think this this might be something that, that should be on your radar. But Cheryl, you just said that you're a real scaredy cat, but Hunger Games is Hunger Games utterly it's it's brutal. It is so oh, brutal. It's violent, but I wouldn't consider it a thriller. Okay, <laughs> fine. <laughs> Only one can I think survive, it's more sad than it's violent, to be fair. Yeah. Dystopia, you know. Hey, uh, as a as a a reader of the books, a fan Never. of the books, okay. uh, are you okay with the movies? Oh yeah, I love the movies. I think they yeah. they are a fairly true adaptation. Um, obviously, not everything is not everything from the book made it to the movies because the books are so long. But Good. you know, I think the movies were very good for what they were. Did you come to the books first and then the movies or movie and then book? Uh, with the original trilogy, I read the books first. With the most recent prequel, I watched the movie first and only now am I checking out the book. It's funny because, I mean, I, I really love John le Carre and it's a previous age maybe, but mm-hmm. most John le Carre fans say every single thing that's been shot apart from one thing is utter trash because um, you can never capture it fully. But with say from Harry Potter onwards, the the, the book readers are very satisfied with the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, which I mean, is kind of crazy. Well, I think like when I watch a movie, I'm not looking for like a hundred percent true adaptation because you know movies are a different medium. You're not going to have the book like very accurately translate. Even with the prequel, there were a few changes in the film, very very slight changes. Um, that kind of just made it more palatable, maybe, to a movie audience. Right. So, yeah, I, I don't know. That's not the kind of thing that would make me mad. But I guess I understand why it would make some people mad to see those small changes. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So that's, uh, sorry, the name of the book again? Oh, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Um, I will watch the movie. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, okay. <laughs> I will. Because I've, I've, I enjoyed them, if that's the right word. I mean, they're really brutal. Um <laughs> Kajin, what's your recommendation? My recommendation is Shin Godzilla. It's a movie that came out in, I think, 2016, something like that. But it is basically the reboot of the Godzilla series. It is, um, it's janky, it's low budget, but it is actually a really good political satire of Japanese politics. Uh, it's very smart. It's full of, of, I like fantastic bureauc- bureaucratic kind of images. I mean, basically the biggest challenge for them to actually defeat Godzilla is it's really the Japanese political situation. <laughs> I mean, I mean they have committees upon committees. It, you know, if anyone is fed up with Malaysian politics and parliament, <laughs> this is a good watch. You, you get a, a good kick out of it. Um, and it, it's very smart. Perfectly. Um, so I mean that's why I would recommend it to anyone who is a monster movie fan, but also not. Um, bearing in mind that you know 
Godzilla from its very start, very inception, was always a metaphor for the horrors of the atomic age. And I think it's a timely revisit to that um, in our era. Uh, you got me. I'm Yeah, I'm going to watch it. Cheryl, is that... oh yeah, hundred percent. That sounds that sounds that sounds fascinating. <laughs> is it is it a person in a suit, Godzilla, or is it? Um, it's an animatronic, I think. Yeah, like, like they went pretty pretty old style, and uh, some some of the cuts are quite jarring, and you can tell that they were operating on a pretty low budget. Uh, <laughs> um, but it, it 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 you know, I mean, some of the recent monster movies. It, the Hollywood ones have been so high budget and you're like, oh my God, the CGI and he has no soul and there's no, you know, it's just like, I'm um, just watching pixels fly at each other. This is not it. It's yeah. Just... And, and I think you say no soul. I, I mean, the, the Japanese themselves are very attached to Godzilla. Oh yeah. So they they're going to, they're going to give him kind of soul as it were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and this is a, this is one of the um, kind of, um, directors who have been very very involved with Godzilla over the years and so this is I guess his kind of labor of love his love letter to the um you know original origins of um, Godzilla as a political allegory more than anything else okay next time you're on Kajin I want to do Godzilla as a topic okay uh, <laughs> let's do that all right well, uh, well, that brings us to the end of this week's show and um, I'd like to thank our guests uh, Cheryl Paul thank you yeah, thank and, you so much. And and also, you know, good luck with the new endeavor. Please do not use gen, uh, AI generated art. Try and you know, I I'm I'm, I'm kind of against using AI generated art in marketing. You you won't see that from me, I promise. Yeah, until the client says, well, <laughs> um, and uh, Onkar Jin, thank you, thank you very much, and uh, myself, Cam Ruslan, our producer, Hanif uh, Harudin. And uh, see you next time on A Bit of Culture here on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.